Hey everyone, it's me Shimon and welcome to episode 23 of yet another tech podcast. Happy New Year! It's the year 2020, new year, new me, not really. But hey, today I'm joined by Dimitri from Hardware Canucks. We'll be talking about a plethora of topics, including CES 2020, Ryzen 4000 CPU, Intel NUC system, and much, much more. So hold on tight to your seats, this is going to be really interesting. Don't miss it. Before we proceed, just a quick side note, this episode was edited on MSI GS65 Stealth 2019. In case you're wondering, no, this episode is not sponsored by MSI, but they did provide me with the laptop to check it out and I must say it's pretty good. I'll be sharing more about it later in the episode, so without any further ado, let's begin. Perfect. So, for those who might not know about you, which I doubt, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. <laughs> uh, what's up everyone, I'm Dimitri with Harakanux. That is a common saying that I use on my, on my videos, but um, yeah, I've been doing this for like seven years with Hardware Canucks now, like full time, uh, making videos about computer, computer related things, uh, gaming stuff, electronics, hardware, uh, and anything, anything in between. So yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So here's something I ask everyone right away. So what's your current daily driver? Uh, my current driver is the iPhone XS. Oh, I have, um, nice. Yeah, it's it's. I got it in November of 2018, so it's just over a year old. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, at uh, 20. Yeah, it's like a little bit over a year old, um, and uh, it's good. But <laughs> you know, with the 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 latest iPhone 11 Pro that came out, I I want that wide angle camera so much, man. So good. So, so yeah. good. <laughs> the battery life apparently has improved as well significantly, which is something that I don't particularly struggle with. Like, I work from home, so mm -hmm. I never have to worry about, like, it not lasting me a full day. Just on my wireless charger when I'm working by the computer, so it's constantly get power. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the iPhone 11 Pro, I hear it's, like, faster, better, better photo, everything. Um, those cameras so. are really nice, like, especially when you compare it to the previous generation. They, mm -hmm. they, they really, really took a quantum leap from, you know, 10 to 11. And it's not as impressive as from Pixel 3 to Pixel 4. As some would yeah, think, exactly. like, Pixel 4, you know, it, it's pretty disappointing in my opinion. Yeah, but plus the widescreen or, like, the wide-angle Apple did it right in terms of calibration between all three camera modules, right? In terms of color, exposure. Yeah. Did you notice like how the uh, framing literally matches with the wide-angle camera when you're using the normal telephoto one? It's so mm -hmm. good. It's impressive. Yeah. Like I've used wide angles on my Zenfone 6, for example, from Asus. Mm -hmm. Love the phone. I love the form factor. It's like the battery life is, is such a champ. It's the phone that I carry with me when I travel so that in case the iPhone is dead, I can still have a phone. But the wide angle on that phone is just so terrible. Like in terms of exposure, resolution, detail, it's so different versus the, the main shooter that, mm. you know, it, it's one of those things that I want. I want consistency and Apple did it, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can expect that from Apple. Yeah. So how has the transition been though? Like you were using OnePlus 6T before, if, if I recall correctly? I was using the OnePlus 5T. 5T. That, that was my latest, latest, uh, a OnePlus device because every other OnePlus device went to Eber so he got <laughs> he gets to enjoy the but um yeah the 5T was excellent in terms of I love the camera like the form factor speed everything I still have it it's like my my last OnePlus device mm -hmm. and um 
then I kind of moved on to the iPhone because I wanted a bit more consistency, I oh. would say. Mm-hmm. Like my OnePlus would just, uh, it would still, it was still fast, but it would kind of stutter and like just give me a little bit of a, not the same experience as when it was fresh. Uh, whereas with the iPhone, like a year in and it feels the same way, right? So yeah. I just wanted that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing though. So I'm using OnePlus mm-hmm. 7. The only thing I'm lacking right now is the camera. It's so terrible in low light, especially. So oh. that's why I'm carrying a Pixel 3 3a XL f- uh, for camera-related stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. kind of well, works out. The funny thing thing is about the Pixels, for example, like the Pixel 4 is good, but then it's not good when you compare it to the previous gen, right? So the whole comparative analysis between what what was available previously is so like our uh michael from hardware canucks uh, the editor he still uses the pixel 2 wow and he refuses to switch because the camera is still so good and everything else on it is still quite good that he doesn't want to switch that's impressive mm-hmm so how was your transition from android to ios like weren't you too heavily invested in google's ecosystem well, everything on the iOS in terms of Google Apps is still, it's the same, mm-hmm. except for like Google Assistant. For some reason, the Google Assistant thing that that is available on iOS is not as strong, I would say. For example, I opened Google Assistant on my iPhone and you know, if I have any upcoming flights coming up, any anything scheduled on my calendar, um, it would not show up there. But it would still be notifications like via Google Assistant. But once I go into it, it would never go into that exact notification. So that's like the only sort of bug weirdness that I've experienced in terms of Google applications on iOS. But Gmail, YouTube, the Creator Studio, Mm -hmm. uh, what else I use? Like all the notes apps and stuff like that. They work just fine. Don't you use Google Photos? Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. Google Photos, all my iOS photos gets packed up there, so yeah. I uh, get uh, access to them on other yeah, One of my friends also switched to uh, iPhone XS, and he was saying like he's facing a bug on Google Photos where every single photo is being backed up to the cloud, like as opposed to on Android where you can choose specifically which folders to sync. On iOS, mm-hmm. it just uploads every single thing, like from screenshots to like say WhatsApp messages, I mean, sorry, WhatsApp images, videos, everything mm-hmm. in one go. So I'm like, mm, yeah, you're that's right. That's yeah, for sure. That's now that I think about you, you <laughs> do have more flexibility with like, yeah, ex- choosing which which folder on Android to back up. But uh, I don't. I don't, let's see. I don't think. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't think that exists on, on Google Photos. Oh, interesting. Well, there's that. So I, even I was contemplating to switch switching to iPhones, and I was like, mm, no, I'm way too heavily invested in Google's ecosystem, so I'm not sure if I'll be able to switch. But mm-hmm. yeah, let's see. Pixel 4 didn't even launch in India. So I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So maybe 4A, yeah. who knows? Mm. Well, the iOS stuff, in terms of the notifications, they have gotten better, but they're still so far behind versus what Android offers. Mm-hmm. Um, like with Android, I live on the notification screen in terms of like yes, trying to see what's happening and responding accordingly mm-hmm. whereas with ios it's while they're still grouped it's still such a mess I, like i can't 
Yeah, it I annoys can't me. Navigate that. Oh my god, it's anno- it annoys me so much that it's one of the reasons why I've contemplating uh, contemplated uh, keeping the iPhone. But I don't know. I'm yeah, still on it, man. Not not because of like iMessage. There's no particular reason, but it's it's the phone that has given me the most consistent experience mm-hmm. for you know over twelve over twelve months, and I haven't had that with any Android smartphone. So, have you like what's your experience been like? In terms of consistency with the your well, OnePlus, oh, and, OnePlus uh, Seven has been really, really nice. I mean, it hasn't stuttered yet. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. see down the line, but yeah, so far, so far, so far, so good. I mean, totally smooth, no hiccups. Mm-hmm. The only okay. thing lacking but is in... the camera, literally, nothing else. It's all mm-hmm. good. But like, I don't mean even stuttering. I mean just consistency of the experience. Yes, you very know, much. Um, like even after the Android Ten update, it's mm-hmm. super good. I mean the Android and gestures and everything. It's literally iPhone now. Like even oh, the, okay. <laughs> you know, the navigation bar at the bottom on iPhone. It's the mm-hmm. exact same width on the i One Plus Seven. I literally measured it. So on stock Android, like the pixels and everything, it's like a pill, like a little bar. On One Plus, mm-hmm. on all uh, One Plus devices, it's the exact same width as the iPhones. So, oh yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's wow. that. Pretty interesting That's stuff. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funny indeed. So we have been talking about phones, but what about your like desktop setup or your laptop? Do you are you still carrying the razor blade or something else? Oh yes, my razor blade, man. That's gonna stay with me until that thing dies or razors like, hey, I want it back. <laughs> <laughs> so using the twenty nineteen edition? Yes. Uh, no, Ebers has the twenty nineteen. I have the twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. which is like uh, eight generation CPU, so like 8750H instead of 9750H. Mm-hmm. But it still has a 2080 max uh, Q, sorry, 16 gigs of RAM and uh, 512 gigabyte SSD. So, so for, yeah, it's like a really good machine. I also have the Razer Blade Pro 17, which is the 2019 model, which is the 17 inch mm-hmm. notebook. Yeah. And that thing is a monster. Like cooling is so much better. It has a 9750H, so slightly better CPU. But the most impressive thing about it is all that additional space for, for the cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, so it boosts to 3.9, 4 gigahertz on load on all cores on the CPU, wow. which, is, which is amazing. Really amazing. It sounds amazing. But how heavy is it? Like 3 kgs? Or how much? I uh, don't know exact specs, but yeah, it's quite chunky. Like it's, it's very heavy <laughs> and it's much bigger compared to like the Blade 15, mm-hmm. but... Compared to other 17-inch notebooks, it's actually pretty small. Like, we have the Y740, I think. That's the Lenovo one. Mm-hmm. And that thing is massive. Like, it's at least three centimeters taller. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, like, wider in in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's not something that can fit in any of my backpacks, whereas the Blade 17 can't. So, that's how I measure size <laughs> based on, like, portability. If you can actually fit it in your backpack. And I can with the Blade 17. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned Y740 because one of my friends just uh, bought Y540, I guess. No, I mm-hmm. think it's 740. But anyway, so he bought it and it's pretty... Uh, he bought the 15-inch version. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's... I mean, looks better than mine. I'm using Y700 <laughs> just before oh, okay. the Legion branding. I'm like, oh no, I just missed it by one month. But anyways... Oh wow, one month? Yeah. yeah. That, that must be a feel-bad moment. <laughs> oh yes. I mean, I just bought it before the whole uh, 10 series GPU refresh. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I should have waited oh. for another month. But anyway, so I'm in the market for it. Yeah, tell me about it. So 
I will bring this up later when we talk about Ryzen CPUs, uh, mobile CPUs. But yeah, I'm looking forward to those because I definitely need an upgrade. Yeah, th that's gonna be, I'm excited for the, the Ryzen notebook launch. I mm -hmm. mean, the fact that it's disrupting the notebook space just as they have on the desktop side of things, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's exciting because Intel will have to, I mean, Intel right now is in, in a bit of a mess with their naming schemes and the current like 10 generation processors are, yes. some of them have like lower wattage SKUs and you as a consumer don't know that. So you think you're getting a better CPU, whereas more efficient, but like pure performance power, it's, you know, you're not getting a better product. Whereas with Ryzen, like the previous generation of Ryzen notebooks stuff, that's like nobody could vouch for them. But now with the 4000 4, series, it's like, that's going to be exciting for creators and like, and for gamers too, so. Yes, yes, indeed. So <laughs> I was just looking at Eber's video on uh, Intel's 10th generation naming scheme and he was so mm -hmm. frustrated. <laughs> it was really, yeah. it was, I mean, it's, they would be confused. Like, what is this naming scheme? They would just compare the numbers and then like, oh, this number is higher, so this might be better. But yeah, there's more than what meets the eye. Right, exactly. Like in terms of uh, cores per threads and mm -hmm. sometimes the, the number scheme they they are increasing, but the core to thread ratio doesn't match up, and exactly, yeah, it's, it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. Unless you know, unless you've watched Eber's video on that, and you know exactly what to expect. But you know, when when you're buying something, it's just gonna say Intel's 10th generation mobile CPU, exactly like Core i5, a Core i7, or something, or Core i9. So, as a, I don't know, as a consumer, unless you're really into hardware and you know what what's up it's gonna be kind of a shit show <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, i agree so um correct me if i'm wrong the 10 generation intel cpus are still on 40 nanometer or is it 10 nanometer now um some are oh. but some aren't so that's like that that's another thing with the 10 gen mm -hmm. uh some are using the new uh, manufacturing but some other SKUs aren't as far as i know i'm not not a hundred percent sure, but I think mm -hmm. that was one of the uh, like uh, head scratcher moments as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, AMD literally you know disrupted the market this year, I must say, and they're about to disrupt even further with the uh, mobile CPUs. Really, really mm -hmm. excited for that. So before we jump into that, um, so this was your which iteration of uh, CES, like fifth? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Uh, this would be my seventh. Oh, nice. So. Does it get better each year, like easier for you, or is it just as hectic as always? Uh, define easier in terms of like just attending the show and covering it, or like... Like planning easy. and everything, like you know which meetings to attend, and you know how to save time and get more sleep maybe, if at all that is. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole experience of CES in the beginning was no sleep and trying to make as many videos as possible, do as many meetings as possible. And the first, let's say three years, we did like, the first year we went to CES, we made 52 videos. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So the 52 videos with two people and like editing wow. to, till three o'clock and then going to sleep, waking up at eight, going to for a meeting at nine and then the whole day in one hour slot meetings. So that was insane. Um, 
<laughs> no shit. <laughs> Sounds yeah. insane. I mean, it was one of those things that as a first timer for Vegas and CES, it, it was an exciting time of going to parties, meeting new people and trying to see what you can accomplish and obviously trying to overachieve the goal of, you know, like really killing it at the show. Mm -hmm. But over time, we've obviously really streamlined that whole procedure in terms of booking meetings and making sure that when we don't have only an hour, but an hour and a half to two hours per slot, and then giving us a bit of time to go to the next meeting and then eventually planning everything so that, you know, in one day, for example, you're in one area, another day you're in somewhere else uh, in Vegas. So you're basically visiting the same people, uh, same in the same hotel, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so that has definitely gotten better and we're not traveling around all the time. It's basically just arrive to one location and then do all your meetings there and then go back to the hotel kind of thing. Um, but this year it was uh, very chill for us because we came with the intent to visit partners that we wanted to visit and not uh, really killing ourselves with meetings <laughs> and making sure that our partners know that if we have the time, we will stop by. If we don't, then you know we're sorry, but that's, that's kind of life uh, with the CES, especially for, for us or for me that uh, has gone seven times. Like I don't really care about the show floor uh, because many other people cover the show floor and they go around and look for what is interesting around. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's like, I wanna go see what Corsair has, I wanna see what Be Quiet has and like all our partners, but uh, visiting the main show floor and just wandering around looking for content, that's, that's not the type of like CES I wanna cover. Yeah, plus it, it must be time consuming as well. Like when you have no direction, you just go and see like what's happening. And then you think about like, okay, let's cover this. So that must be, you know, time consuming, right. <laughs> like I said. But you do meet more people on the show floor, not just uh, brands, but other creators, mm -hmm. like where people are roaming around and they're usually roaming around in groups. Mm -hmm. um, but also meeting new brands is kind of on your own time because they would have to, it's not a matter of just showing up and getting a business card, but you know, they would come to you and they would explain everything, literally everything that's on their floor. And that's um, sometimes a waste of time, right? So like, yeah. we've also streamlined the part where once we show up to a booth or a partner, we would ask them, or we would know in advance, uh, like what is being new and launched at the show. We would ask them to bring us to those components and those products only without showing us anything else that they've they have on display that may have launched last year or a few months ago because we're not there to cover that. We're only there to cover the best, uh, not the best, like the newest mm -hmm. components. And so that helps to save time. And uh, usually we receive like the pre-briefings ahead of time. So we know what we would like to cover. But if we don't, that's the approach we use. Yeah, makes sense because pre-briefings always help because you get like a buffer of a week or so and then you can plan the content accordingly. So yeah, that, that helps mm -hmm. a lot. Well, the good thing about CS as well is that you get to see products that are announced but not launched. And then by the time <laughs> Computex rolls around, you can see things launched already. And it's a good reference point as to how products and that entire cycle is run. Mm -hmm. um, but 
yeah, it, I'm actually pretty happy that CS this year was, you know, the launch of like the new Ryzen 4000 and some other interesting products, but it wasn't a super, super exciting thing. I think Computex would be more interesting. Yeah, I mean, as compared to CS 2019, I would say 2020 was um, more, it included more stuff which made sense as compared to 2019 where everything was fluffy, if that makes sense. Like everything mm -hmm. for show and then nothing pops up really. So right. I did find like 2020 was more focused on things that are usable. Mm -hmm. But then there's also some products that like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the video from, uh, I think Gamers Nexus and their power when they're criticizing CES 2020 with an example of MSI and they have their own all-in-one cooler that was on display mm -hmm. and literally nobody at that booth knew what the product was. So what? there was there's always like little bits and pieces that are scattered around. And sometimes the actual product manager, the PM, is not at CES or at the show floor. So wow. finding answers about certain products is difficult. We had that same situation with HyperX at Computex where they were launching like their new keyboard and their switches. So we were asking them about who are who is the OEM for the switches and, and you know just basic questions about the keyboard. And none of them could answer those questions. So oh my God. <laughs> you encounter some interesting people who are marketing, but not they don't know anything about the product. So it's kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, if they can't make it to the said convention, at least they can, you know, send someone who is trained to answer those questions. But oh, well, it's yeah. their problem. Yeah, you would think, but yeah, there's plenty of examples where you get to a booth and be like, all right, so tell me about this product. And they read you a marketing sheet that they've memorized and not actually giving you any useful information about, you know, the important things you want to know about. So amazing. Yeah. Oof, tired already. Okay, never mind. Let's take a little bit of break. Go ahead. Make yourself a cup of coffee. I mean, who doesn't like coffee? Till then, I will just tell you about the MSI GS65 Stealth. My unit was configured with an Intel i7-9750H, RTX 2070 Max-Q, 32GB of RAM, and equipped with 1TB of NVMe SSD, super fast, and also it had a 144Hz display. Oh my god, that was so nice. Okay, when it comes to editing, everything was super smooth. Here's a little bit of context. On my laptop, I have to use proxy mode so that I can drop down the resolution to say half or quarter so that I can edit everything smoothly without any hiccups. Well, on the MSI one, I didn't have to do that. I just edited right off the bat and everything was super smooth. When it comes to gaming, oh boy, it was such a joy, especially considering I jumped from 60Hz to 144Hz. The difference is night and day. So yeah, I played plethora of games, including Mortal Kombat 11, GTA 5, Control, Apex Legends, to name a few. So I particularly noticed quite a bit of difference in Apex Legends because I literally won three games in a row when I just started playing on MSI. As they say, never judge a book by its cover. When you see the MSI GS65 Stealth in person, it's really thin, but don't let it deceive you. It's thin and light, yet very, very powerful. But considering the price of almost two lakhs, should you buy it? If your budget allows, then why not just go ahead and buy it? It's thin and light and deceptively powerful. What else do you need? And again, no, this is not sponsored by MSI. I just wanted to share my thoughts with you all because it was a great experience. And hey, 
If this can help anyone to make their purchase decisions, then hey, win-win situation. Alright, I see your coffee is prepared. Let's get on with the episode. So, yeah. talking about CS 2020, if you, if I had to ask, like, top three things which really caught your attention, what what would they be? Um, so let's see. Well, the if not even top, know, like, if not even top three, just anything which caught your attention is like, oh man, that is really cool. Uh, so like from things that we visited, um, ASUS had some really cool stuff from the notebook side to the cases side. Like their new Z11 enclosure, which is an ITX-based format, um, kind of like a vertical tower that can also go horizontal. And as I review many cases, that is one case that I'm excited about. Um, it mm-hmm. looks different. It's very expensive, and it's I'm, I'm kind of concerned about airflow. But it's really cool to see uh, ASUS kind of tackle the case market because they have like two or three cases, but that's it. They're you know no, mainly known for other components and hardware mm-hmm. but yeah really excited for the z11 especially because the motherboard is uh uh angled at 11 degrees hmm, giving you more space behind the motherboard for cable management and apparently better temperatures so that is one claim i'm excited to test for hmm. so is, um, is there any release date for that um case i think it was march hmm. yeah, not yeah. too far away yeah, so pretty close by. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ASUS also had like a, a new few budget uh, Ryzen 4000 notebooks that they're they will be launching. Mm. They're like one of them was the Zephyrus something Zephyrus 14, I guess, which which had the LED pattern on the back. Well, that yes, but it isn't budget. It's gonna be quite more premium. Yeah, on the premium side, mm-hmm. and it's. It, I mean, the thing is, like, they marketed that notebook as a gaming notebook, but it's kind of weird because at 14 inches, it's not very comfortable to game on, you know? True. Um, yeah, it's too small. Yeah. But their A15 and A17, I think, notebooks mm-hmm. are going to be very exciting because the price point is going to be good and it's going to have the same hardware, hmm. just without the really fancy body. Um, so that's that's also, like, mm-hmm. a really exciting thing from CES. Mm-hmm. Um what really caught my attention was the Alienware UFO. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Nintendo yeah. Switch on steroids. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is that when the guys went to New York to get the hands-on for that for that product, mm-hmm. uh, it actually felt complete. Like, it didn't feel like a prototype. It didn't feel like it was something that they made last minute. <laughs> it actually felt legit and, like, real. So whenever that thing comes out, it's going to be a really good competitor to the Switch, uh, like the whole mobile gaming on the go. But, I mean, the fact that it's running a full Windows 10 PC, mm-hmm. that's kind of impressive, yeah. Indeed, but I'm pretty sure they're not targeting the same price point, of course. But still, people who want to game on the go, they won't mind spending money on that thing, I guess, if it performs well. I mean, it was running Rocket League at... I'm not sure if it, if it was 60 FPS, but it was running smooth, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you yeah, get to play on it? No, only only Eber and Mike. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I, I've heard good things. Like, they were both really impressed with it. And you're right, it's not going to compete with the Switch in terms of price point and usability, but it's a cool concept that... It's also coming from Alienware, and yeah. so... <laughs> that as a brand is pretty strong in terms of having their own core base that 
that keeps coming back and buying products. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not worried about that it becoming popular. But as long as they keep it to um, you know realistic uh, performance and um, cooling, mm -hmm. we would have like a really strong computer on our, on our hands. True. Okay. Quick side question: Do you like Alienware's new uh, Legend ID design system? I mean, their whole new design with the A fifty one and the new Alienware fifteen. I don't believe I. I, I don't mean, the think new. I've seen it. Oh, I mean, the new white and black design they have these days. Ah. I mean, sure. They've they've always gone through some some sort of white and other color schemes, so. Yeah, it looks. I think it looks okay. Mm -hmm. Something mean, different. It has a very distinct look, right? So yeah, something really different because earlier there was like thick and metallic look, and this suddenly is like it's still metal, but it's like coated with something. It's it's white, but it's coated with a matte finish material. It's something unique. Mhm. Mm yeah. It it as long as it's distinct, you know. Yeah. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, you can distinctively tell that's Alienware. <laughs> you won't say yeah. that's HP or that's Dell. No, that is Alienware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like their desktop system looks pretty awesome mm -hmm. from a like a case perspective. That glowing, that glowing thing in the middle and the, the <laughs> curvy front section looks like a, like a jet engine or like a spacecraft something. I don't I, know. I like it. I mean, it's Alienware. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So since we're talking about cases, what do you think about the Razer Tomahawk? That looks really impressive. Cute little case and awful. Yeah, uh, it's cute, but what it's designed for, <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. Um, <laughs> Enlighten me. Like, do you have any concerns with the design? Well, the, the design itself is, is beautiful and like elegant, mm -hmm. but no airflow for the GPU, for example, on the, on the glass. So it's, just, it's very close to the glass panel. Mm -hmm. um, Obviously, oh, yeah. if you put a mesh... Oh, yeah, the, gonna... the ventilation is on the back, right? And on the top? No, nothing mm -hmm. on the sides, right? No, nothing on the sides. Ooh, there yeah. will be two fans up above for exhaust. Mm -hmm. So potentially any heat that is generated like right beside the glass and the GPU is being taken away immediately. But it's still, I don't know. It makes sense for, for them to go with glass because it's razor and they care about looks. Mm -hmm. But it's also... I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, if you put a mesh panel there and the same design as the top panel, it would look so much better. Yeah, plus it will help with airflow and heat dissipation because glass is an insulator, so I don't know how that will work out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But my hesitation about the Tomahawk direction isn't the case itself, but what it's meant to house, like with the whole NUC 9 mm -hmm. from Intel and that whole PC on the PCI Express card. It's a cool idea, but uh, as we've heard about pricing and we've done multiple videos about like why it might not be as uh, as successful as we initially thought it would be is because of price mm -hmm. uh, and because of you, it's not user replaceable. So it removes the whole DIY element from PC building. And uh, there's many issues surrounding the actual like daughter board design because the GPU and the, and the, and the actual the NUC 9 unit, or it's called the element, I think, uh, are so close together. So the airflow is a big concern. So 
it didn't seem like the the guys who designed the element and the guys who designed the daughter board actually were talking to each other. Um, whereas like we, we've spoken with partners and they said that they, they might be designing their own because uh, if you rotate the daughter board, uh, uh, not the daughter board, the element to face the the opposite direction of the of the graphics card, then you don't have this competition for air because one is in taking air from one side, the other one is taking the air from the other side. So it's like it we'll we'll see what happens with the element and and its like uptake from mm -hmm. the actual consumer base and gamers. But the product itself seems like it wasn't designed for that at all. It seems like it was designed for like. B2B type of business. Mm -hmm. I see. So for those who might not uh, be aware of what a NUC is, why don't you give a quick overview of what exactly it is? Uh, so NUC is the, so it's Next Unit of Computing. That's what that's the acronym stands for. But uh, it's basically like a tiny computer. And Intel, the new NUC 9 is, uh, is a CPU, memory, and storage all on one PCI card that you plug into a PCI slot like you normally on the, on the motherboard, but it's getting power from the PCI slot and additional connector. So it's basically a full computer that's really small and you can take it out from the PCI slot and basically potentially service. But yeah, it's like a really small computer that, that, uh, that has everything on this tiny board. Mm -hmm. So is it conf configurable? Like, can you add memory and everything after you've ordered the NUC? Uh, you, yes. Normally you, you can swap out CPU, the NUC, uh, you can swap out the, the memory and add storage. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's what it's been like with the, in the past. So you, you'd need like dim memory, so dim memory, which is mm -hmm. the shorter memory. Yeah. Uh, for notebooks, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so they are upgradable by the user, but... Uh, I don't with... think they're <laughs> aiming at those consumers, I guess. Yeah, exactly. They were like, just, I will just buy this configuration and I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the end user won't be... It's not, it's not to like, oh, I'm going to swap out the CPU now. It's more like, I'm going to replace the whole NUC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw it away, yeah. get a new one. Yeah, works. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and since we're talking about this, um, imagine this: in 2020, Razer announces Razer Blade, like 2020 edition with the Ryzen CPU. Would you opt for it, like Ryzen CPU but an NVIDIA graphics card? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I would definitely uh, like play around with it and see what the performance is like, mm -hmm. but um, I, I don't know if I would switch completely. Because if you ever built a computer and went with a Ryzen-based configuration on like motherboard, CPU, and maybe graphics card as well, it's not as smooth sailing as it is building an Intel slash NVIDIA system. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my concern with the notebook space. However, the notebook side of things is usually more optimized versus like you going out and building your own Ryzen machine, for example. But I'm hoping that both AMD and NVIDIA and everyone else involved works with Microsoft and make sure that like the drivers are available and that the drivers don't go and mess up your entire experience because that has been the case for a while now from the AMD side. 
Like, <laughs> I don't know. Monitor is not picking up signal, even though everything's working, but you plug in an NVIDIA card and everything's fine. Like, small things that shouldn't happen, but happen, and the inconsistency of, like, smooth experience on AMD side is kind of frustrating. Like, both me and Eber have experienced that on the Ryzen uh, 1700X and 2700X, and like some issues that I've experienced here and there with my threader system as well that I've never encountered with an Intel machine. So I hope that those issues don't migrate into the notebook space. And if like if Razer can deliver a solid, consistent performance without any surprises on the you know with the 4000 uh, Gen Ryzen CPUs, then then I'll switch. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> performance probably is gonna be good and. As long as there's no driver issues, then it'll be fine. So as compared to an all AMD system like AMD CPU, AMD GPU, is it better to have AMD CPU and then NVIDIA GPU? Like how's the um, combination going on there? Like, uh, do you face any problems? Like I haven't tried it out, so that's why I'm asking. Uh-huh. Well, normally you, you think that everything should be fine to work, but <laughs> in my experience, like uh, a Ryzen CPU is fine, but I've had more issues with uh, with AMD Radeon graphics cards. So like with drivers not installing properly and um, just like having weird bugs here and there. So in my experience, NVIDIA has always been more stable and more consistent, mm -hmm. but I haven't really used an AMD GPU in like my main system for maybe three years because mm -hmm. three years ago, well, like two and a half years ago, when I was using a Ryzen system, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do what uh, <laughs> everyone recommends, just go full AMD and see what the experience is like. And it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> so. Oh, well, yeah. that's how you learn, I guess. Mm -hmm. But still, like, I think now, the, the issues with Ryzen in the past were memory related. That's been mainly resolved. Even though on my Threadripper system, like I'll give you a quick anecdote. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm running 128 gigabytes of memory, right? So that's that's a lot of memory. Mm -hmm. It's rated for Ryzen at 3,000 megahertz. But the system would crash and give me a blue screen of death like so often until I lowered the 3,000 megahertz to like 2975 or something like that. And that is because for some reason Threadripper 2950X does not like even memory at 3,000 megahertz. So as long Ouch. as I lowered that megahertz slightly, everything is back to normal and stable. So like you would never encounter that on a Nittel machine, right? So oh, well. yeah, memory issues are still kind of present. It is what it is. And talking about blue screen of death and everything, how has your experience mm -hmm. been with DaVinci Resolve? Um, it's <laughs> been, I mean, it's been good for the last 10 months. I've had less crashes total than I've had with Premiere <laughs> in my entire my entire like editing career. And the only time I experience any issues with Resolve is when it comes to any external USB audio devices, whether it be like a USB headset that I plug in and the, and the DaVinci crashes, whether it is a sound card that I plug in with the USB, DaVinci crashes. Interesting. So that's the only time when DaVinci has been kind of a pain, but otherwise it's been solid. Did you face any problems during the transition period, like some uh, shortcuts or anything specific that you were accustomed to Premiere Pro, but you were like, oh, where is this option in DaVinci Resolve? Um, to some extent, but 
once you migrate, you have the option to select mm -hmm. to uh, which shortcuts you want to apply. So you, you can apply DaVinci shortcuts by default. You can apply Premiere shortcuts. You can apply Final Cut. You can have, I think, even like some other Avid. Yeah, I think those are Vegas shortcuts. is also supported, I guess. Vegas, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So by default, once you're like first launching into DaVinci Resolve, you can select which shortcuts you want to use, which is super helpful. But I've just stuck with the default DaVinci ones and just learned those. And yeah, it's been good. The actual transition was really simple because I forced myself to edit over the weekend for actual video projects that were supposed to like launch the week of. Mm -hmm. So you just, you know, you start with a, some somewhat basic editing, not doing any crazy effects, not doing any text mm -hmm. tracking or any insane like color grading and stuff. But from the basics to now, I'm very comfortable with Resolve. What do you think about the UI though? Somehow I've, I don't like the UI of Premiere Pro. Seems kind of convoluted, but I feel somewhat at home in DaVinci. Like everything is cleanly labeled and everything is segmented. I don't know, what's, what's your thought on that? Uh, yeah, I like the UI. I don't like that you cannot have... With Premiere, you have so much flexibility. You can move windows around, you can expand them, you can position windows the way you want, whereas with DaVinci, it's very locked down. Yes. So you kind of have to learn how it is and you don't have flexibility. And, I mean, I don't have any issues with the UI. I like that when I click the color tab, nothing crashes. It literally just opens all the files, right? Whereas with Premiere, for the longest time, I go into the color tab and the program would crash. Wow. And like, this is ridiculous. I would reinstall my computer. I would reinstall Premiere. I would start a new project. And with anything, with nothing applied on the timeline, I would go into the color tab and it would, the Premiere would crash again. Ouch. So it was one of those things where you're like, you know what, this is, this is enough. I'm going <laughs> to gonna leave this behind. Um, but I would love to have a bit more flexibility with the, with the panel and the UI, but... I don't know. I think it's at least it's stable. Yes. That's that's where I'm going to leave it. Yeah. Mm -hmm, I agree. So we've talked about the past, we've talked about the present. Let's talk about the future. Are you excited about some technology? Maybe it's like a smartphone or some PC components which you're looking forward to in 2020? Uh despite of my uh bashing of the the new Intel NUC 9, I'm excited to see what they what they do with it. Not from a, like a hardware perspective, because we know the hardware, it's gonna be 10 gen Intel something, but it's, it's an exciting time of like seeing how that hardware component gets implemented by other uh, partners. So like actual case manufacturers and um, like these sort of systems. So I, I, it would be awesome to see like a NUC 9 in a really tiny case that you can just you know just build yourself mm -hmm. um what else i'm excited for the new iphone i've seen renders and that thing looks awesome the i really hope they bring back the design language of the iphone se oh yes you know the little square edges and mm -hmm. uh, i think that's gonna be my my next iphone um <laughs> i just I'm hope they sure. bring usb type c <laughs> yeah yeah i've heard some rumors that like they they have to because the lack of consistency is worrying but i've also heard rumors that they're making so much money with like lightning connector and all the licensing fees and stuff or, that it's going to be hard for them to ditch it completely talking about smartphones are you 
like did you get to uh, use any foldables at CES like not at the booth but maybe some other fellow creators like Galaxy Fold no. or something no no I haven't haven't no well it would have been <laughs> fun even I haven't gotten the chance but are foldables is that exciting for you uh, no <laughs> not really okay. I mean it looks good on paper but until and unless you have like multiple generations gone by maybe by third gen or something when it's normal for consumers then maybe i'll look into it but right now it doesn't excite me much to be really honest what's your take yeah. on that i'm in the same boat it's not something that excites me even though it's out of reach <laughs> i don't think it's because of that i think the the fact that like you say the it's first or second generation kind of mm-hmm. product that isn't exactly flushed out is not exactly finished even though I see some creators who love it and use it, but I think it's more of a um, let's actually live with a foldable smartphone and see what the experience is like and share it with the world, and that's that's what they do. But I, I wouldn't wouldn't want to have a foldable just yet. Like it's <laughs> nothing. I don't know. I'm. I guess I'm not on my phone that much anyway. But having a larger screen. I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand the <laughs> the appeal. To be honest, Michael Fisher completely attended CES with only Galaxy Fold as his primary device. I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive. He literally bought one for CES. Like, oh, wow. Oh wow. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's dedication. Yeah. Well, did uh, what was his experience like? If you if you are aware. Um, he was happy. That's why, he, like, once his review unit was gone, he was like, "Okay, I'm gonna buy my own unit and I'm gonna use it." I'm like, "Well, okay. If if that if something works out for you, that's the best thing for you." Mm-hmm. But maybe it's something we don't we're not seeing, right? Like, if if you get one and you play around with it, and this is the phone for you, and you have to mm-hmm. buy it, that's the dedication, man. Especially if he bought his right before CES. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you gotta live with the technology. How? regardless of how early tech it is mm-hmm. uh, in order to like experience what the future might might fold right so i think <laughs> quite literally fold <laughs> yeah 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 especially with michael fisher like he he deserves it man <laughs> that, oh yeah completely. that guy is a legend completely yeah. yeah since we're talking about smartphones uh have you attended mwc before i have not ah so do you wish to attend it uh maybe but it's not something that that I'm drawn towards. I would go because of uh, Barcelona. Like, mm-hmm. the city's wonderful. Although, every time, man, like, do you hear stories about people's gear getting lost? Oh, yes. And, yeah, it's it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of terrifying. You know, like, you get distracted by walking out of a cab by mm-hmm. someone and then they steal your luggage and then they steal your backpack so you're, like, torn in two ways. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, but oof. in terms of the show itself, um, I guess it's, like, not something that uh, we cover too mm-hmm. much. I mean, we, we cover mobile, but... Not that much, I, I guess. Yeah, it's... I, I, I would watch new things that are being launched, but not something that I'm, like, really interested in. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess you're more inclined towards Computex. Yes. Yeah, Computex is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I love Taiwan. I miss being in Taiwan. That was really fun when I went there. Were you there for Computex or no, for... No, it was for HTC U11 launch. It was their 20th anniversary, so they had like some celebrations over there. So they called all the media people over there. But Taiwan was nice. really nice. Their food is good. <laughs> yeah. Out of all things, I'm talking about food. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I love the the city Taiwan. Mm, it's all the nice, all the I people are very friendly, and the show is much better organized than CES because mm -hmm. everyone's kind of in the same place instead of you needing to like hotel uh, jump around. Um, mm. And usually it, it aligns with what our content is about as well. More Got computer it. hardware related, more components and less electronics and like consumer stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, when does it happen? I, I kind of forget the timeline. Uh, usually the last week of June, uh, sorry, the last week of May begins and mm -hmm. first week of June. Hmm. Interesting. Not that far away. But yeah. Yeah, it's coming up. Yeah, already. Mm -hmm. We had a good discussion, so let's wrap it up. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, anything Hardware Canucks. We're on Instagram, YouTube, yeah. And uh, I have a Twitter handle too, Dimitri49. <laughs> How do you yeah. spell it? Like, I've seen multiple spellings of yours. It's different. Of my name or, or yeah, my... Of your name. <laughs> well, my name is D-M-I-T-R-Y. Uh -huh. But everything that's, that's like online for me is with a D-I-M-I-T-R-Y because... It's easier to read, I think, as I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> How do you pronounce your last name, though? I'm fascinated. Uh, in Russian, it's Novoselov. So it actually, it's a the translation is uh, New Village. Oh, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So do you <laughs> do you face uh, misspells and mispronunciations every often? Uh, yeah, but it's part of life, man. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. I never get my name correct on Starbucks. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I bet. That's why whenever you go to Starbucks, you, you cannot be Shimon. You have to be like John or Patrick, you know, something easier to, to to spell. So I do have like my vacation name. I am either John wow. or like something easy to, you know, to, mm -hmm. re to remember for them. So, yeah. That's what I do when I say I'm Shimon. Then I say it, it rhymes with Pokemon. So I guess that's <laughs> that's something that people can relate to. I'm like, okay, yeah, All right. it rhymes with that. Does yeah. it work for you? <laughs> uh, somewhat. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like a double-edged sword. It's unique, but people don't really get it right in the yeah. first time. Yeah. It's memorable. So next time they see you, you'd be like, Shimon, but like Pokemon. And they're like, ah, yeah, I remember meeting you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was great chatting with you, Dimitri. It was really yeah, fun. Too. So I'll catch you on the internet. All right, man. Thanks for the invite. And uh, you and everyone else have a great day. All right, folks, that's all for this episode. I hope you liked it. And if you did, you know what to do. Like, share, subscribe, do your thing. And hey, if you have any questions or constructive criticism, do reach out to me, you know, all of my social media handles are in the show notes. And just in case you can't access them, here you go. It's at Shimon IPS. That is S-H-I-M-O-N-I-P-S. So yeah, just ping me on Twitter. I'll get back to you ASAP. On that note, it's time for me to take a leave and I'll see you in the next episode. Just kidding. You won't see me. You will hear me. Bye-bye. <laughs>